Thank you for listening to the podcast of Dublin Bible Church. There is a God, and you are not Him. You feel the weight of that? I hope you do. I felt the weight of this for the last couple weeks. The reality that there is a God who is an all-loving, who is a just God, who is known in the Old Testament as being a warrior. He is also a God of wrath, and He is a God of majestic power, and you are not Him. Let's pray. Father, we, as we just kind of enter into just the, the teaching and the preaching of Your Word, allow the weight of your deity rest on our souls. Allow us each and every one to have a deeper understanding of who you are and what we need to do about it. I pray that just through just the, the power of your Holy Spirit that you would just be in and amongst this place. God, if there's somebody whose heart is just absolutely restless right now, I, I pray that your Spirit would just center them so they won't miss what it is that they're supposed to hear. Father, I pray for the for the Christian and they're they're kind of they're, they've been on the, the Christian walk and yet they feel this they just kind of feel like they're losing right now. I pray that as this word is preached and, and just and, and just lays uh, the, the word is just laid bare before us, God, that you would that you would help them and encourage them. And I pray for the person who's not a Christian. I pray that the that the words that I just spoke, that there is a God and that we are not Him. I pray that that would be something that would stir in their hearts throughout this whole talk. We worship you. Amen. Amen. Um, this morning, in just a couple minutes, we're actually going to start out in Romans 3, starting in verse 10. We're going to go through verse 18. So Romans 3, Verse 10 through 18, and then we're going to kind of fly through that text, and we're going to land on the last verse, but you have to get all the other verses. We're going to kind of land on verse 18, just letting you know where we're going. And, and then we're actually going to use our main text for this morning is John 10. So if you're an overachiever, you can go to Romans 3, right? And once you get there, you can go back two books to John 10, John 10. While you're flipping, I, I want to uh, just tell you a story by way, I guess, of introduction for this this message. And uh, I don't know if if you're this type of person, but I certainly am. I love to be outside. I love to hike, and I'm I love to backpack and do all that kind of stuff. And maybe you're an inside person, maybe you're a beach person. Um, I I love to be in the woods. And I had an experience earlier this year that I'd like to just uh, that really kind of. I realized that I, this all came together for me actually on Friday. By the way, this sermon has been prepared three times. So this is the third edition of basically the same sermon, and I know this is the one that the Lord would have for us. But um, I, I was out hiking by myself on the Pine Mountain Trail. I do that a couple times a year, at least try to do that a couple times a year. And I was out hiking, and actually I was on my way into a campsite, and as I was kind of going into the campsite, I was by myself. There's no one else around, just kind of enjoying nature. It's my time to be with the Lord, and it was fantastic. And I've just kind of, I was walking the, the right path, but then I just kind of took this, this 
turn on another path and didn't even really know where I was going, but I, I started to walk up this path, and I'm just kind of minding my own business, just having some time with Jesus, and everything's great, kind of in the spirit, and just just really enjoying it. And, and I, I got up probably, I don't know, maybe 150 to 100 yards off of the regular path, and I kind of stopped for a minute, and I just had that kind of uneasy feeling. Anyone ever felt that uneasy feeling like uh, something's, something's wrong here? So I kind of, I stopped, I kind of had this uneasy feeling, and I, I was on a path, and yet I, I kind of, I stopped for a moment, and I kind of turned around and looked, and I was like, well, there's the path, and yet, I, so then I, I just started looking around, and I looked back, and actually I actually dropped my sleeping bag out of my backpack, like the zipper had come undone, and it was just like hanging out on the trail by itself, up, up the way, didn't even know it, didn't feel a difference, so I turned around, and I was like, oh, that's awesome, I, you know, maybe that's why I had this uneasy feeling to go get my sleeping bag, so then I, I, I turn around on, on the trail that I'm on, and I go and I grab my sleeping bag, and then it dawns on me, I look up, and I didn't even realize it at the time, but I was totally off of the regular trail. Now, the Pine Mountain Trail is a very well-marked trail, and for me, apparently I just started walking a game trail and didn't even know it. And so I'm kind of tracking on and kind of doing my thing. I pick up my sleeping bag, and then I start to get on the regular path. But you know what? Here's the thing. I couldn't get on the right path until I, was, until I realized that I was on the wrong one. Some of us are right there in our lives right now. And, and I, before we even get into, into the word, I just want you to know, some of you are on the wrong path and you need to listen, listen, listen up. Some of you are on a path and you're, you're on your own path and you think it's the right path. And, and yet, it, down deep in your heart, maybe you know that you're not doing something right, but yet you're on your kind of own little journey. And you're, you, you need to be reminded of this word that you're going to see in Romans 3. That you, in order to get on the right path, you need to realize that you're on the wrong path. There's a lot of tension in our culture right now. And, by the way, I borrowed the phrase, there's a God, you're not him. I borrowed that from step one of Celebrate Recovery, um, just so I give them props. I know it's been said many times, but that's step one in Celebrate Recovery, a great program. Um, but I kind of, I borrowed that because what I'm seeing right now in our culture and really the tension that we kind of live in, if you're a follower of Jesus, you feel this tension. If you're not a follower of Jesus, maybe you think there's no tension at all and be like, you know what, everything's going great. But, but here's where the tension lies. And maybe you want to write this down. I don't know. I'm going to break it down like this. Big G, little me. Or big me, little G. What does that mean? Big G, Christians are in our, right now, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a growing follower of Jesus, you have this, this big overarching view of who God is and that God is in charge of everything. He's in charge of your life. He is the Lord of your life. He has the authority over your life and you are growing in your relationship with Him and that's Big G. And if God is big and you are subordinate to Him, that means you have to have a Big G and a little me. But yet there's this other thing that's going on in our culture. People are not followers of Jesus. They have this image of big me, little g. Meaning that it's all about me. It's about my desires. It's about my thoughts. It's about my relationship. It's about my marriage. It's about what I want. And I would just say the reason why you feel attention is really I can br it's broken down in that way. We, as followers of Jesus, if you're increasing in your, in your relationship with Christ, you're, you're on the path to be more like Jesus. It is a big G, little me. But yet the world that's around us is a big me 
and little g. Now, the reason why I mentioned that, and this will be on the screen, just try to help you have a, a just really a framework. Maybe if you're you're a Christian and you're kind of you're lost and not spiritually lost, but because you wouldn't be a Christian if you're spiritually lost. Okay, you're tracking with me so far. But like you're you're kind of living in the tension of the culture. Like what am I supposed to do right now? And I just want to put this on the screen and, and maybe to kind of help you understand where the culture is and where you are. Our culture is demanding tolerance and acceptance as the highest authority of our society. The culture around us, this is the big me, little g. It's about my desires, it's about my passion, it's about my marriage, it's about what I want to do, it's about my life. Big me, little g. But the last part of that that you see on the screen, the followers of Jesus, we submit to Christ and His Word as our highest authority. That's the big G, little me. We live in the tension of that. But my hope is, as we kind of progress through the Word, that it doesn't just be some, it's not just something that, that divides us from the culture that's around us because we're supposed to be light to that culture that's around us, that, we're, that we live in this culture. We're supposed to shape this culture. Yet we have to understand where we are and whether, where other people are. If you call yourself a Christian, ultimately... You should have a big G, little me view on life. But do you? When's the last time that you've had a really, uh, just a really in-depth time where you've allowed the Holy Spirit of God to examine you? When's the last time? When's the last time that you've asked the Holy Spirit to examine just all of your heart and to just rip out anything that's not of the Lord. You see, for us, we could think, mentally, we can think that we have a big G, little me, but yet we can live if it's big me, little G. We can do that. It's very easy. We can deceive ourselves. And yet, it seems like there's this, this almost militant approach against Christianity right now. But I just want to encourage you with this because I don't really want to uh, paint this as a negative because it's certainly not a negative. Jesus is, uh, if he's your Lord and Savior, um, this is the word that came through Matthew sixteen eighteen. This is from the ESV. He says, and I tell you, you are Peter. Jesus speaking to Peter. Let this encourage you, Christians. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Like there was no joy right now on your face when I said that. That's good news if you're a Christian, right? You're like, oh, okay, like what do I do with that? No, no, that means we win, okay? That's what that means. That the gates of hell will not prevail against it. This, this thing that, that Jesus had told Peter that he would become really the first among equals amongst the apostles, that he would be the spokesperson early on in the church. And Jesus would kind of lay this leadership mantle upon him, and now he's laid this leadership mantle upon us. The days are dark, but God is light. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. That's what we've talked about thus far, isn't it? He's the light of the world. He is the bread of life. And you're going to see in John 10 when we get there that he is the gate into heaven. But first, we've got to press this. Romans 3, verse 10. Romans 3, verse 10. There is no one righteous, not even one. 
There's no one who understands. No one who seeks God. All have turned away and they have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the pea, in the way of peace, they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. What we see in our culture right now is being lived out in verse 18. And I have to tell you, Christian, I want to encourage you with this, but I'm also going to challenge you with this. I think both things apply here. If you are living as if there's no fear of the Lord before you, you are living in sin. And how dare you set yourself against the culture if you're living like the culture? The walk with Jesus Christ is a, is a walk that is countercultural. It is the it's the opposite of what you're supposed to see in the culture. And if we are living like the culture, how dare us try and make them or even share the message of Jesus when they look just like us? And yet, what does this mean? This that there's no there's no fear of God before their eyes. See, in the Old Testament, they kind of lived with this 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 idea. In the Old Testament, you see this. They did right. They did what was right in their own eyes. They did what was right in their own eyes. They did whatever they wanted to do. You see, oftentimes, even Christians, and I'm going to press you Christians, oftentimes Christians, they live their life their way and then ask God to bless it. And then if God doesn't bless it, then they blame Him. But who's to blame? If we are to have a growing uh, just uh, just this awareness and just the fear of God and understanding that there is a God and we are not Him. That He is a holy and a just and He's also a wrathful God. But on the other side of that, He is a God of grace and He's a God of mercy and He's a God of love. And how He's all those things, I don't know because I'm not God and you're not either. We have to walk with this this awareness and just the fear of God and understanding there is a God and I'm not Him. And if I go through my life with that understanding, we will in essence be living under the authority of His Lordship. What we see in our culture right now is big me, little g. But if you're a Christian, it's supposed to be big G, little me, growing, just walking into this growing awareness of the fear of God, saying, you know what? If I walk in sin, it's as if I just took Jesus and nailed him to the cross again and again and again. And I have to tell you, there are consequences for sin. There are consequences. There are consequences that our culture is demanding tolerance and acceptance as the highest authority of our society. There are consequences. And, and the reason why Christians right now, we feel like we're helpless is because we've been living like the culture instead of living like Jesus. Because the truth of God's Word that I just delivered to you in Matthew 16 has been true for 2,000 years. And yet in our hearts, we're not convinced of it. Perhaps it's because we have a big me, little g lifestyle. Maybe for you, you just have this 
this, uh, there's two big theological words I'm just going to open up. Orthodoxy, that's a general belief. Maybe you just have this general belief that God exists, that Jesus was God, that He was deity, that He was God, and that He was supernatural, and that He resurrected. You can have this orthodoxy, this general uh, just doctrinal belief of who God is, and that can be great, but yet you can have an orthopraxy, which is that's the practice of your faith. You can have an orthopraxy that's all about you, that isn't even about Jesus at all. And we can deceive ourselves that we're good and we can walk. We, even Christians, can walk without a fear of the Lord. My hope for you is that right now you feel the weight of what I just said. My hope for you is that even in your hearts, that it's not just in your minds... Because just as the, the last song that we have sung, that, that, that the band just got up and, and sang for us and led us in worship, from the inside out, what we want as Christians is change. We want our lives to make sense. And our lives will not make sense if you're living life on your terms. Your life will be, will be just, just covered in guilt and shame. And you'll never change. We all want to change. And the only way that you can change is if you walk in a growing awareness of the fear of God. Because if you fear God, who He is, and His attributes, then you will sin less. You will never be sinless, but you will sin less. It's possible. It's very possible. I, I, I thought of it like this, just because... Uh, Really, Romans 3.18, it says there's no fear of God before their eyes. And, and oftentimes, we can totally do this. Even Christians, we can do this. But I, I just wanted to kind of say this to help maybe make this make sense. God is not mean, but He is dangerous. God is not mean, but He's dangerous. God is not mean, but He is dangerous. He is the sovereign Lord of the universe. No bird flies in the sky without his being aware of it. No child will ever be born without him knowing that child. The child's name knows how many hairs are on that child's head, knows how many hairs are on your head. Nothing gets by God. He is not mean, but he is dangerous. He's dangerous. Okay, I'm going to take God out of the equation for just a second. Don't leave, okay? Water is not mean, but it's dangerous. Have you ever almost drowned? I have. I have. I really, really have. Got caught in a rip current, did something really stupid. It was taking me out to sea. I was in the Navy. I can swim. You know, life-saving merit badge in, in Boy Scouts, the whole nine yards. It was sucking me out to, out to sea. I had to be rescued by a lifeguard. It was a bad day. It really, really was. It was a really bad day. But you know what I learned that day? You know what? I need water, right? You need water. You're going to need, you need water. You need to drink water. Have some water or else you're probably going to die after three days. Water is not mean, but it can be dangerous. Same thing with electricity. You ever been electrocuted? Right? Anybody want to go back to churning butter every day? Anyone? No. We all like electricity. We like the conveniences of it. We like to be able to plug in the refrigerator. But if you've ever been shocked, you know that electricity is kind of dangerous, right? Anyone ever been there? Show of hands, please. Confessional time. Yes. And yet, electricity is not mean, 
Like there's electricity all around here. It's not mean, but it is dangerous. The same can be said of God. God is not mean, but he, but he, but he's dangerous. You can't tell me if you actually read your Bible and specifically you read the, the book of Acts and you see what the early believers went through. You see what they went through that a walk with Jesus wasn't dangerous. You can't tell me that. They were being butchered. You, you can't tell me that they wouldn't say, you know what? God is good. God is not mean, but it's dangerous to follow him. In the world we live in right now, it's not all peaches and cream. The, the world around us is dark. We're not supposed to go internal. We're supposed to go external to shine that light to other people. After all, we are on the winning side, are we not? And the gates of hell will not prevail against this church. And here's something awesome. One of the things that, that I've seen consistently over the years, and in my own life and my understanding, and, and going all the way back to 2,000 years when, when the Scriptures were written, any time God's people were put in a corner, the best thing happened. I'm not saying it was easy, but the best thing happened. Any time that, that, that God's people were put in a corner, God's people kind of figured it out, and they allowed, and they actually shaped that whole culture. The same thing happened with Martin Luther. Same thing happened with Martin Luther King. Same thing happened with Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Same thing happened with all the apostles. Because the culture that, that the New Testament was birthed in, the Roman culture, the, the Roman Empire, and, and the Greek culture that was around it was so wicked and evil. And you know what? The walk of Christianity outlasted the Roman Empire. And, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I have to tell you this. There's something that I've been just kind of wrestling with. This is a new edition as of, uh, as of yesterday. Psalm 51 verse 5 says this out of the uh, NET translation. It says, and this is uh, David's words. It says, look, I was guilty of sin from birth. A sinner the moment my mother conceived me. This is so important for us to understand of where, where we start. Because you were a sinner before you ever committed a sin. It's been imputed on you. You were, you were conceived with it. That's what, what David is going through, this amazing confession of, of his sin. He's just pouring his heart out before the Lord about the, the sin with Bathsheba. And he, as he's just declaring this to God, back to God. And we have this awesome, uh, just the way that it's encapsulated in the Scriptures. In, in Psalm 51, perhaps you've never read that or you haven't read it in a while, read it. It's just amazing to see that such a strong man of God can be so connected with his emotions. But Psalm 51, verse 5, it tells us something so, so valid about ourselves. We are sinners. And that proves, in another way, that there's a God and that we're not Him. We're sinners. We're so in need of the grace of God. We're so in need of the mercy of God. We're so in need of the love of God. Which is why this text in John 10 is so important. Because when Jesus would declare this to the Pharisees and the audience that's around there, when he would declare that and when he would declare that to us today, and so we understand where we come from, so we understand who Jesus is, because after all, it's about big G, little me. Open your Bibles, please, to John 10. John 
10. I'm going to read verses 1 through 10. Actually, next week, we're actually going to pick up back in verse 10, and we're going to press on. So next week, we're going to be the same place. If you have a bookmark and you want to be ahead for next week, you can make it easy. So you don't even have to flip through your Bible next week. We'll be right here. John 10, verse 1 says this, I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. So he's going to say it very plainly, starting in verse 7. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who come... who come before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be, what's the next word? Saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. That means any cult or false religion that does not declare the deity of Jesus Christ is not to be listened to, not to be followed. That would include Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness, Islam, there's a long list, Buddhism, any of them. They claim that Jesus was a good teacher or something else, but none of them declare that Jesus Christ is or was God. Therefore, they're all disqualified, every one of them. That means when culture pushes for tolerance and acceptance of every person's beliefs, we as Christians have to be intolerant because we are living our life submitted to Jesus Christ and the authority of His Word. It's about big G, little me. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is where the rubber meets the road. When he, when Jesus would stand before the Pharisees, by the way, the Pharisees thought they were the gate to heaven. When Jesus says, I am the gate for the sheep, they knew full well what he was talking about because there was, the, the, there was one gate going into the tabernacle and it was about 30 feet wide. And to go into the tabernacle would be, in essence, going into and being in the presence of God. When Jesus went through and he was declaring them once again his deity, that he is and was God. So when he says, I am the gate, I am the gate to get into the presence of God. I am the gate so you can be a part of the kingdom of God. I am the gate for you to be in heaven. There is no other gate. There is no other way. Praise God, there's no other way. So we don't have to be confused. We don't have to be confused. But you cannot get in to the kingdom of God by yourself. Your sin will not allow you to enter the gate that Jesus says that He is. 
You cannot do so unless you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. But you do it, and it it brings a lot of things with it. It's not just this one-time decision, and that's all I have to do. And I came before, and I'm justified, and I'm glorified, and I'm sanctified, and a lot of other theological words, and all these things. And like, all of these things happen. Now I get to live, live my life as big me, little G. That's not what that means. When you accept Jesus Christ, you're saying there's a big G and a little me. I need to live my life subjected to the authority of Jesus Christ and the teachings of His Word. But, as the Word tells us in 1 John 1.10, if, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If you claim to be without sin, the truth is not in you, which means you are not saved, you are not redeemed, you are not going into the kingdom of heaven because you cannot enter the the gate, through the gate of what Jesus says so unless you acknowledge your sinfulness and you lay that at the cross, understanding what was paid for you, that your sins were paid for at the cross and what Jesus did on your behalf and my behalf because there is a God and you are not Him. Big G, little me, John Calvin in the Institutes of Christian Religion said this, the surest source of destruction to men is to obey themselves. That's, that is absolutely what, what tolerance and acceptance is all about. That, that's what that's all about. If you call yourself a Christian and you're not repulsed by things that are not of Christ, you're actually adding to the problem. I could not have said that any more kind. I want that to land on you if that pertains to you. And I want the Holy Spirit of God to wrestle within your being right now. Because that's the only way that you're going to be changed. And I want you to change just like you want to change. And yet by me kind of telling you and reading and us reading together... Um, what Romans 3 said, and honestly what 1 John 1 said, there are a lot of ways that we can respond to the understanding of our fallen nature. Another a couple words that you may have never heard of is total depravity. Here's, here's some ways that people kind of, we wrestle with this and say, okay, I have a fallen nature. I'm not God. He is holy and I'm not because sin separates me from His holiness. Here's some things that people do when they... When they when they kind of wrestle with this idea, they start blaming things. If they don't accept their own sinfulness, here's how it fleshes out in our culture. Instead of actually speaking to someone's heart, they start removing things in our culture because they think, if I remove those things, then the people will be holy. Let me be specific. They start blaming things we're not accepting our fallenness. What we'll do in real life is the problems of your life are your wife's fault. Or the problems of your life is your dad's fault. And I'm not saying that they didn't contribute to it, but you have to understand where you started. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. All of us. 
And yet we, we, we kind of, we, we tend to blame other things. We blame other people. We say, you know what, it's my wife's fault. It's my, it's my husband's fault. I had kids way too early. I wasn't ready to be a dad. That's the reason why I'm a terrible dad. That's the reason why I live in my room playing computer games and I don't engage with my family. I'm just, I wasn't ready for being a dad. I wasn't ready to be a husband. It must be somebody else's fault. And we're not acknowledging our own fallenness. Here's how it works out in our culture. Here's how it works out in our culture. Instead of dealing with the hatred that exists in people's hearts, we we start to remove a Confederate flag thinking it's going to resolve the issue. But the issue isn't a symbol. The issue is the heart. The issue that we've seen years ago in, in a different state than this one, they removed and they started to limit how much soda you could drink out of a can because the, the thought process is if I limit how much soda that people can drink, that I will eliminate the evil of obesity and gluttony. But that's a matter of the heart. That's a matter of the heart. We have to understand our own fallenness. You, you see in our culture right now that there's, this, there's just this militant approach to get rid of every symbol that goes back to a Judeo or Christian belief. Well, why is that there? Because they don't want to recognize their fallenness. They think if I remove the Ten Commandments, if I remove this statue, because the statue reminds them that they are not God. Because every time I look at the Ten Commandments, and perhaps you look at the Ten Commandments, I realize that I have afflicted God in one of them. But if I remove that, I don't have to acknowledge my own fallenness. All I can do is I remove that symbol, so now it's not a reminder that I'm fallen. And we are doing just what John Calvin said. We are deceiving ourselves. We're deceiving ourselves. The reason why that, they, that, that you see this in our culture right now, that, that radical Islam is not being, that ISIS is not being called radical Islam, is because we're not willing to admit that there's a fallen nature that exists in every person. Because if there's a fallen nature that exists in every person, we will have to reach out to a Almighty God to get salvation. And what that looks like is big me, little G. But the promise of salvation when Jesus says, I'm the gate, is big G, little me. I understand these are complicated issues, but and I understand there's emotion connected with all this, and unfortunately there's politics caught with all this, but I want to go to the heart, because ultimately, for us as Christians, the only way that we're going to be better as a church, you as a, as a, as a parent, you as a brother or sister, you as, as a middle schooler or as a high schooler, is to have your heart changed by Jesus Christ. And the only way that your heart is going to be changed is if you live your life under the authority of Jesus Christ and in accordance to His Word. Other than that, you will not be changed. You will not be. And you will not live what Jesus said in John 10.10, live life to its full. You won't. So we blame things. We blame objects. We blame other people. We blame ourselves. But when we blame ourselves, when we don't acknowledge our fallenness and we blame ourselves, here's the way that works. We blame ourselves so we just try harder. I call that try harder Christianity. It's exhausting and it doesn't work. Ephesians 2.8.9 says that doesn't work, if you need a text behind that one. Try harder Christianity doesn't work. Sometimes we just blame, blame the universe. We just blame all the creation. We just blame everything. And, and when, you, when you get up against something that powerful, the tendency is just to quit and to give up on life. 
And that's not what Jesus promises in John 10.10. In the last section of that, that's not what he promised. That's not what I want for you. The best thing we can do is just admit our sin condition and recognize that we're separated from God. That's the best thing we can do. Because then we'll be at a point where we, we just come before God and we acknowledge our fallenness and understand that we are broken people and the only way that we can be saved is through the sa- supernatural work of the resurrected Jesus Christ. That's the only way to salvation. When he says, I am the gate, he is saying, I am God and you are not. He's saying it to the Pharisees, but he's saying it to me. But understand where we start. Understand where we start. Two main ideas, I'm going to fly through these from this text, is Jesus is calling people out. He's calling people out. He's calling people out. A scripture to add to this idea, I got that from verses 1 through 6, but another uh, scripture that I really want to kind of land on is 2 Timothy 4.3. This is from the New Living Translation. This will be on the screen. This is what Paul wrote to Timothy, and I think it is so appropriate today. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers to tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. That's today. I believe that was also, if the Apostle Paul and Timothy would both think that that was in their day, but that that is certainly applicable today. If you call yourself a Christian, you have to be submitted to Jesus Christ and the teachings of His Word. If not, you add to the problem, and you can live a lifestyle, orthopraxy, that is exactly what you see on the screen that was predicted in Second Timothy 4 and 3. For the time is coming when people no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. There's, there's a division that's happening in our culture right now. Some people call themselves Christians and they're doing things that are, that are so wrapped in the culture. And I believe that there's a division even within people who call themselves followers of Jesus. And there's going to be this split. Let's just make sure that we're on the right Side, And I'm not saying politically right side. I'm saying the correct side, the way of Jesus. The one that's rooted in his word and the truth of all of his word and not just the ones that we want to live by. I believe this is also why Jesus said in Matthew 7 verses 13 and 14, Enter through the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many will enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. Are you one of the few? Are you one of the few? What's your salvation story? Do you have one? What does your life look like since the day that you profess Christ? Because if your life is no different than the day you profess Christ, I have to challenge your own salvation. I have to. I have to. Because it's also said in Matthew 12, verse 30, He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. Spiritual battle lines are being drawn right now. Right now. We have to wake up to our spiritual blindness. We have to wake up. 
as people of faith. We have to wake up and understand that God is good, and yet we have to have this awareness of the fear of God. There, there are consequences for every sin that you commit, and that every sin that I commit. So here's some gates that we use. Churches try and use legalism. That means the rules become the gate. Well, if you just adhere to these rules, then you can enter the, into the gate of heaven. Church legalism. I hope we don't do that around here. There's this, this idea of bumper stickers that you see, and you see this on Facebook, this idea of coexist. And at the core of that, that whole movement is saying... That, that it's rooted in, in a word called universalism. That means there is no gate. Everybody's in. That's what that means. There is no gate. Jesus says, uh, there's, there is no gate. Everybody comes in. If you want in, you're in. That's not able to be confirmed in the Word of God at all. At all. With some faith groups, specifically Catholicism, the gate is the church. So if you're part of us as a church, you're in. But if you're not part of us, you're out. And the only way to get in is to be a part of us. And I have to tell you, we have to be so careful as to what we believe and how we live out this belief in our culture. And yet I believe that that God wants to use us to redeem the people that are around us. But understand this, Jesus is the greatest threat to anyone who seeks to control someone else. Jesus Christ is the greatest threat to anyone or any government or any culture that tries to control someone else. Because you're dealing with God. And Jesus ultimately is calling us to himself. That's what he he breaks that. He, he goes through and he uses the figure of speech in verses 1 through 6. In verse 7 through 10, he is calling them to himself. And he's doing the same for you and me today. He's calling us to himself. There's a, a quote that I've been really wrestling with. I don't know who the author was. It's been used many times. There's more evil in your own soul than you could ever imagine. But you're more loved than you could have ever hoped. In Proverbs 16, verse 6, says this, Through love and faithfulness, sin is atoned for. Through the fear of the Lord, a man avoids evil. What Proverbs 16, verse 6, is talking about right at the beginning. Through love and faithfulness of Jesus Christ. To die the death that he died on our behalf that he was faithful unto the cross, that our sins could be atoned or covered because of his shed blood on that cross, that he was faithful all the way to the end. Christian, be faithful all the way to the end. But the only way that you can be truly faithful in this regard is if you go through your life with a big G, little me mentality. If you get it twisted, then... And right then, you will stand in opposition to what the rest of this verse says. Through the fear of the Lord, a man avoids evil. It's rooted in Christ. 
I think the only fitting way to respond to this message is to take the Lord's Supper. So as, as we have some people who are going to be helping to prepare the elements, here's what I want us to do. As you're, you're still kind of probably a little numb, maybe in just kind of a little speechless about what you just heard. I want you to bow your head. There's going to be people walking around. Just bow your head, close your eyes. And I want you to allow the Holy Spirit of God to kind of look in and examine you. And I want you to ask yourself this question. Am I living my life with the fear of the Lord? Am I living my life with the fear of the Lord? Or am I adding sin? Lord Jesus, you are the gate to eternal life. You are the gate to the kingdom of God. You are the gate of the kingdom of heaven. And as we celebrate you by taking the Lord's Supper, Lord, allow us never to to move beyond the cross. Allow us, Lord, to, to reflect upon your broken body. Broken on our behalf. So that our sins could be atoned. Lord, let us never look beyond the blood that was shed for us. Let us walk and talk and live with the fear of the Lord. We praise you, Jesus. Amen.